got done, uh, a fellow by the name of Ezra, who was a contemporary of Nehemiah, came on the scene and uh, was there also during that time. And they began to deal with not just the physical um, restoration of Jerusalem, but they now start to turn towards the spiritual uh, restoration of Jerusalem. And so they find the book of the law while they're working on the temple. They find the scriptures, the only scriptures they had at that time. And they began to read these scriptures. And that's kind of the setting that we're finding here. They're at this place. They've gathered together. And uh, let's look in verse number eight in cha- or chapter 8 and verse number 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. You think I'm long-winded. Before the men and the women and those that could understand, the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood uh, Matithi, uh, and Shema, and Ananiah, and Erijah, and Hilkiah, and Messiah on his right hand. And on the left hand, Padiah, and Mishael, and Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadadim. Uh, Nana and uh, Zechariah and Meshulam. I don't know why they don't use good names that are easy to pronounce there. But uh, these are the men that stood by him. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, uh, Jeshua and Bani and Sherebiah, Jamin, Achab, Shabbatiah, uh, Hadijah, uh, Messiah, uh, Kelita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hannah, uh, Peleiah, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law. The people stood in their place. So they read the book in the, law, uh, in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, <clears throat> which is the uh, Tirshatha, uh, and Ezra, the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat fat, drink and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them, for whom nothing is prepared, for this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went to their way, uh, went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Father, we pray that you would bless the message and speak to our hearts. May it be something that will be a help to someone here today. Lord, there's such a need in our day and age to understand this idea of having your joy in our hearts over what you have done for us. I pray that you would help us as we look into your word and guide and direct our hearts and our thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a lot of folks in the world today that 
have a negative view of God and the Bible, of Christianity, if you will. A lot of people feel like it is a very legalistic, a very condemning belief system, and yet the truth of the matter is we don't hold to legalism at all. We believe that God came to deliver us from that legalism, that God came to deliver us from the sin that we had in our lives. He didn't come to condemn us. We were already condemned. The Bible tells us that. Because of the fact that we are all sinners, we are all already condemned. We didn't have to do anything to go to hell. Uh, we were already that. Christ came, the Bible says, to seek and to save that which was lost. He came because He loved us so much, He didn't want us to be condemned, and He came to deliver us from that condemnation. That's why we call the message of it the gospel. Because the word gospel means the good news. It's something that men ought to be excited about hearing, that I was I was. Uh, condemned. I was on my way to hell and there was nothing I could do to save myself. And God came along and He saw me and He loved me and He says, you know what, I don't want Greg to die and go to hell, so I'm going to come and send my own son to this world. I'm going to let my son live a perfect life and I'm going to let my son stand in the place of Greg and take his penalty for that sin. And Jesus Christ did that 2,000 years ago. He died, he went into the grave, the Bible says, for three days and three nights. And after three days and three nights, he rose from the dead. Over 500 witnesses saw the resurrected Christ. And so we know from history that he certainly did resurrect from the dead. We know from Scripture that he resurrected from the dead. And the very fact that he is in the right hand of the Father now, making intercession for those of us that have trusted him as our Savior, is one of the great joys of the Christian life. That when Satan comes and tries to accuse us for the sin that we commit in our life now, that the Lord Jesus Christ steps forward and says, I am His advocate, I have stood in His place, I have paid the penalty for that sin, and it is no longer a debt that He owes. Oh, what a joy to know that as a Christian. I'll tell you, there are a lot of people who have a negative view of Christianity. And I don't understand why, because it's the greatest news man has ever heard. We try to find joy in the wrong places many times. And the Bible says uh, numbers of times that there is a pleasure of sin that the Bible speaks of and the world has. In fact, Moses had a choice to make when he was the son of Pharaoh that he could uh, enjoy the pleasures of sin with uh, in the palace and the things that Pharaoh had to offer him. But uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that Moses decided rather to suffer the affliction of the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Why was this? Because Moses understood the great, great joy there is in trusting God. And it's interesting to me, as, as oftentimes the Bible will show us our sin, and there is a time for Christians to grieve, and that is the time that we have sinned against God and that we need to get those things right. But can I tell you this? As these people read the book of the law and they recognized their sin and they began to grieve over the sin that they had committed, Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites said, Listen, you all have been accepting of the truth and you've listened to the truth. This isn't a day of sorrow. This is a day of great joy. Why? Because you've understood the truth. You've come to God and you've said, Lord, I want you to be our God again. We, don't, we, want, to, we want to do what is right. I think so many times I was talking to a fellow just a few weeks ago. <clears throat> and he said, the one of the reasons I don't want to get saved is I know if I do, I'm going to have to change the way I live. Now, can I tell you this? You don't have to change to get saved. But I will tell you this, God created each and every one of us with the things that we enjoy and the things that we don't enjoy. 
Uh, how many of you here love spinach? Any of you love spinach? Cooked spinach? How many of you hate spinach? Why did God make some of us to love it and some of us to hate it? Here's the worst one. How many of you love raw broccoli? How many of you love raw cauliflower? How many of you hate those things? Why did God create some of us to love it and some of us to hate it? Can I tell you this? God made each of us to love things and to hate things. And can I tell you this? That oftentimes, and here's what, here's what the world sees before they get saved. They see that they, they, they've been led to believe that when they get saved, that they're going to have to change all the things that they know they enjoy now. Can I submit to you this? That God will not cause you to have to change the things you enjoy now. God will change what you enjoy. That's why He can say that the commands of God are not grievous to those of us that are saved. In fact, they become a great joy for us to live by them. The things that we enjoy now in the world are not even close to being compared to the joy that the Christian has in serving God. And one of the problems I think that we face in the world today is that we're looking for the, the joy, the happiness of life in the wrong place. I, I, I found a list of people who on their deathbeds or sometime during their life in a very uh, pivotal point of their life made some statements. One of them was the infidel Voltaire. He was an atheist. He did all that he could to, to discount God and, uh, and the Bible. And uh, at his deathbed, he made this statement. He said, I wish... I had never been born. Can you imagine living a life saying, boy, I wish I'd never been born. Yet, we're living in a day where thousands of people do this every single day. And they take the most precious gift that God has given to them, and that is their life. They commit suicide because they believe that they wish they had never been born. Why? They're looking for joy in the wrong places. They're looking for peace in the wrong places. They're looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. Lord Byron, who had given himself to a life of, of pleasure more than anyone else that I could even imagine, he made this statement. He said, the, word, the worm and canker and grief are mine alone. After a life spent in the, what the world would say would be the pleasures of sin, he came to the realization that the worm and the canker and the grief were his alone. Another fellow uh, by the name of Lord Baconsfield, who enjoyed uh, his share of position and, and fame throughout his lifetime, made this statement. He said, Youth is a mistake, manhood, a struggle, old age, a regret. In other words, all of life has been sorrow. I was listening a number of years ago to uh, Daryl Strawberry, who was one of the first in, uh, Major League Baseball players that signed a contract for a million dollars or more. I remember when he was being interviewed about a year later, he'd had some problems with some drugs and some things in his life, and a man sat down and interviewed him. In fact, I've looked up the, the video even since then, and it is still out there. You can still find it on YouTube. Uh, you can find the interview with Daryl Strawberry where they're interviewing him. And they ask him, what's it like to be uh, so popular, to be so famous, and to be one of the best baseball players in history, and to have a, a contract for the most money that man had, had been, at that point, had man had ever been given for playing a baseball game? And his comment to the person interviewing was this, I am the most miserable person you have ever met. Why would he say this? Because he was looking for joy... In the wrong places. There are people that may sit here today, even as Christians, that live the Christian life with, with an idea of drudgery and with an idea of obligation, with an idea of, boy, I have to do this. Can I tell you this? The Bible tells us when we get saved 
that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. That means the things I long for, the things I like, the things I get joy from, change. Why? Because God does so much for me through my salvation. I want to spend a few moments talking to you this morning and sharing with you some Scriptures. So keep your Bibles handy. We're going to look at several things. But when Nehemiah comes to the nation of Israel here, they were, they were mortified over their sin. And by the way, I think we should be mortified over our sin. But when we understand the forgiveness of God, there ought to be great rejoicing. When we come to Him for forgiveness, there ought to be great rejoicing. So much so that Nehemiah made this statement, The joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. We talk so often about how to get through this life, and boy, you've got to have God's strength to do it. You've got to have God's strength to do it. What is that strength that we're talking about? It's the joy that, is, that comes from knowing what God has done for us. The joy that strengthens us. The joy that reinforces us. In the midst of, uh, of sorrow and, and affliction and oppression in our lives, how can we rejoice? We were in Sunday school this morning talking about the Apostle Paul. And how he was writing from Roman imprisonment, most likely getting ready to die. They were going to behead him for the cause of Christ. Most likely, from all things he knows about, he's getting ready to have his life ended. And he writes to the church at Philippi. And he talks about the fact that even though he has been imprisoned, even though there are people that are out trying to to make things worse for him and his situation, even though there are some out there that are trying to preach the gospel of love, some are trying to preach the gospel of contention, he says, I rejoice that the gospel is preached. And he says, I, yea, I rejoice and will rejoice. You say, but Paul, you're in prison. You're getting ready to be beheaded for the cause of Christ. You're getting ready. You've lived a life of oppression and, and you've lived a life of persecution and affliction beyond what any of us here today have ever endured. And yet he's rejoicing? Why? Because the joy of the Lord was his strength. He was the one who, when they first came to Philippi and began to do a work and began to see people saved, and they saved a young lady that had a devil in her, and they cast the devil out of her, and the people that were making money off of her came and raised up a stir against him and Silas, and they caused them to be beaten and to be thrown into the inner prison there in Philippi. And the Bible says at midnight they lifted up their voices and were singing praises to God. Why? How could they do such things? Why was there great joy in the midst of affliction, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of, uh, of physical uh, abuse to their bodies? How could they endure that and still rejoice? Because the joy of the Lord was their strength. What God had done for them was their strength. I want to share with you some things this morning that God does for us when we get saved that no matter what the circumstances of life bring, we can rejoice in. I get so tired sometimes of meeting somebody who says, yes, I'm a Christian, and then to watch their life and to see how sad they are all the time or how they complain about everything. You dare not ask them how they're doing today for fear they're going to tell you. Can I tell you this? When we're saved and on our way to heaven, I'm not saying life is always great. In fact, the Bible will tell us otherwise, won't it? But it will give us joy. It will give us 
something that the world tells people that they'll give it, but it really doesn't. And that is satisfaction in life, contentment, peace. The world makes it sound like if you just have a little more money, if you have a little more wealth, if you're out here doing what you want to do, you'll have great satisfaction in life. You'll have great peace in life. No, that's not where it lies. In fact, two different times Solomon writes this in the book of Proverbs, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Can I tell you this? Being saved is the best thing that ever happened to you. Being saved and getting saved and trusting Christ as your Savior is the thing that ought to bring the most joy in your life. It ought to be the thing that puts a smile on your face and a, and a bounce in your step and a, and a brightness in your countenance. As you walk about each day, you say, but Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. No, but I know what I've been saved from. I know what God's done for me. What are some of the things that happen when we get saved that brings joy to us, that strengthens us in our daily walk? How do we endure the affairs of this life with joy? I mean, this world is, is, is certainly not going to be uh, a friend to the Christian. It certainly is not going to come along and, and say, boy, let me help you and encourage you to draw closer to the Lord. The world's not going to do that. In fact, they're going to do everything they can to pull me from it. They're going to do everything they can to discourage me from it. Can I tell you this? Where then do we get joy in the Christian life? It's our strength. It's what keeps us going. It's what allows us to put one foot in front of the other. Let's see what it is that brings joy to us, shall we? Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John, chapter number 1. 1 John, chapter number 1. Towards the end of your Bible, almost just before Revelation, 1 John chapter number 1. Let's look in verse number 9. Jesus says this, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from, what's the next word here? All unrighteousness. Can I tell you, if there is nothing else that we can get joy from our salvation from, it ought to be this. We have been forgiven of our sin. Well, that ought to make the that ought to make the driest, coldest Christian shout and be excited. You and I have been forgiven of our sin. What does that mean? That means I no longer have to pay the penalty for my sin. You say, How did you do that? I didn't. Christ did. He paid it for me. He paid it for me. He stepped forward and said, I don't want Greg to endure that penalty. I'm going, to, I'm going to endure it for him. I'm going, to, I'm going to step forward. I'm going to pay that price for him. And I tell you this, when we get saved, the Bible tells us that we are forgiven of all unrighteousness. By the way, in the Greek, all means all. In case you didn't know that. By the way, it means that in English too. It's easy enough for you to understand it, isn't it? If it means all of my unrighteousness, does that mean all the sin that I committed before I got saved? Absolutely. Does that also mean all the sin that I've committed after I'm saved? Oh, absolutely. He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. I'm thankful that He is, according to the book of Hebrews chapter number 7, the surety for my salvation. That word surety is the idea, the mindset, that He is the one who guarantees it 
He's the one that even though I may break my side of a covenant between myself and God, He stands in my place and says, I'll pay the penalty for Him breaking the covenant. The covenant is still intact and there is still relationship between God and Greg in spite of his sin. It's already been paid for. He wasn't, I wasn't the one that saved myself. He was. I'm not the one that keeps me saved. He is. It's one of those things that I can rest in. And can I tell you, there's an awful good peace that comes every night of my life when I lay my head down knowing if I die in my sleep tonight, I'll wake up in heaven. Years ago, there was a songwriter that wrote a song and the words of the chorus says, Just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Can I tell you this? If you're saved today, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, there's great joy, isn't there? And that joy is strong enough, and it's the strength that God gives to me to sustain me during the trying times. You say, well, pastor, I'm going through some valleys. Yeah, but you're saved. You're not going to hell anymore. You're going to be in heaven one of these days. Paul said it this way, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Somebody came, I think it was one of the great preachers of yesteryear, and threatened him to pull the gun on him and said, if you continue to preach the gospel, I'll kill you. And the preacher looked back with just a steady gaze and said, you can't threaten me with heaven. Paul said, I'd much rather go and be home with God. He says, it's more needful for, that, for you that I stay, but I'd, I'd sure love to go and be with God. And I tell you this, if you're saved and on your way to heaven, you've trusted Christ your Savior, there's a great joy that comes from that. There's a great peace that comes from that. And let me tell you this, the joy that comes from it is far greater than any joy the world offers. Any contentment the world offers, any peace the world offers, it, it far exceeds it. Because the world's joy, the world's peace... And the world's satisfaction is counterfeit at best. It may give you a sense for a little while, but sooner or later you're going to find out the reality of it. That there is a consequence to it. And while there may be momentary pleasure, there may be momentary peace, there may be momentary satisfaction in life. You'll say as many of these men found out in their answers to life, that's not where the happiness came from. Well, if I just had more, more money in the bank, Pastor, I'd be happier. No, no. That's not where joy comes from. Well, if I just had more things, if I had a nicer house, if I had a better job, if I had a, a calmer marriage, if I had a wife that loved me more, a husband that loved me more, if I had kids that were more obedient, I'd just be happy. No, no. That's not where joy comes from. Joy comes from being saved. Why? The Bible says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. So it gives me strength to go on. Number two, not only are your, are your sins forgiven, but turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And uh, let's look in verse number 19. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. The Bible says in verse number 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
Can I tell you the second thing we get when we get saved? We get the Holy Spirit of God Himself, the third person of the Trinity, to come and live inside of us. What an amazing thought! He comes to live inside of us. Well, well what, why is that so exciting? Because the Bible tells us in John chapter number 14 and verses 16 to 18, Jesus told His disciples, I'm not going to leave you comfortless, but I'm going to send you another comforter. And when the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, guess what work He does in us? He comforts us. You say, well, how can I be joyful when I'm going through the trials? Because the Holy Spirit brings comfort. He comes along. How many of us, when we get in trouble, we want to let other people know so that they can come and be like, Brother, I'm so sorry. Sister, I'm, I'm so sorry. They may even put their arms around us and shed a few tears with us. And it makes us feel better, doesn't it? You know why? Because they're offering comfort to us. Can I tell you this? When there is not one person in this world that will come and put their arms around you, you have, if you're saved today, the Holy Spirit of God inside of you that brings comfort to you. Let me tell you, that will bring you some joy. What else does He do? According to John chapter 14 and verse number 26, He teaches us the truth of the Bible. You say, well, I have a hard time understanding the Bible. Trust Christ as your Savior and let the Holy Spirit teach you. He opens the truth of Scripture in a way that we didn't see it before. Oh, what joy to know the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He brings conviction of sin. That's not one we like, but it's one we're thankful for. He brings strength to us. He's the one that empowers us and causes us to do the work that God wants us to do. Look with me, if you will, Romans chapter number 14. Romans chapter 14. I'm not going to give you all of these today for sake of time because we're running out of time. But can I tell you today, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ your Savior, that is the best decision you've ever made. That's better than the decision you made to get married. That's better than the decision you made to have kids. That's the best decision you've ever made. And it's the only one you will never have some regret in. Look with me in Romans chapter number 14 and verse number 17. The Bible says this, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Can I tell you this? The Holy Spirit of God brings righteousness in us. The Bible says He brings peace. Can I tell you, that is something that every person I know in the world today, whether it's a saved person or an unsaved person, is looking for. We all are looking for peace, aren't we? Boy, I just have had a stressful week, Pastor. You just don't know. Oh, I'm thankful for the peace of God. It causes my blood pressure to go from way, way up here to take these things that stressed me out so bad and I didn't know which way to turn to give them to Him and say, Lord, they're Your problem, not mine. I'm just going to rest in You. The Holy Spirit gives us peace. And notice He says here also in verse number 17, He gives us what? He gives us righteousness and peace and what? Joy. Wait, where's our strength? Our strength is in the joy of the Lord. That's what strengthens us for the Christian life. He gives us joy. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, if you'll turn there for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. Let's see what else the Holy Spirit does for us when He lives inside of us. 
1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse number 10. God hath revealed... Let's back up to verse 9 so you know what he's talking about. But as it is written, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither there in the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them, what? Those things that we don't even understand or comprehend. He has revealed them unto us by His what? Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things. Yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. <clears throat> can I tell you this? When we have the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us, He helps us to know the things of God that when we were unsaved, we couldn't know. I would use this word. He gives us discernment. He gives us discernment. He teaches us the deep things of God that the Bible says the natural man, the unsaved man, the person who's never trusted Christ as his Savior, the Bible says that he considers them foolish. Neither can he know them. They're not able to. I'm thankful when the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of me, He teaches me things that I before did not understand or know. That gives me great joy. That gives me great joy. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5, over just a few books, Galatians chapter 5. And let's look at verse number 22. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, He brings us comfort, He teaches us, He convicts us of sin, He strengthens us, He gives joy, He gives discernment, and lastly, He bears fruit in us. Look with me in verse number 22. The Bible says, but the fruit of the what? It's not my fruit, is it? It's not me saying, boy, I want to live this way, so I'm going to make every effort I can to live this way. That's not where this is coming from. <clears throat> I may make an effort to have joy in my life, but I'm not going to succeed at it. The joy that's going to be there is going to be there because the Holy Spirit puts it there. It's His fruit, not mine. Notice He says this, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. What's the second one? Well, there's our strength again, isn't it? Peace, look with me, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Can I tell you, there's not a person in this world that would not want to be best friends with somebody that epitomized that fruit. We look at that fruit and we say, boy, that would be a perfect person. Oh, I'd love to be a friend with somebody like that. Can I tell you this, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, he can produce that in you and I. It's His fruit. To be a person of love, to be a person of joy, to be a person of peace, to be a person of long-suffering, to be a person of gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. Oh, to have those attributes in my life. You say, how can I get those, Pastor? You get them when you get saved. 
the Holy Spirit begins to work inside of our lives and bring that fruit to bear. Now, we can quench Him, and we can grieve Him, and we can cause some of the things that He longs to do in us not to be done. But this is what He wants to do if we'll get out of the way and let Him do it. Can I tell you, that brings great joy to my heart. Because I know me. Some of y'all think you know me, but I know me better than you know me. And can I tell you, there's somebody here that knows me better than I know me. And I'm thankful the Holy Spirit can do that, which I know I cannot do in my own heart. There's a lot more that could be and should be said on that issue, and maybe we'll preach another message on it. But I've got six more points, and we've only done two. Are you all ready? Hang on. Fasten your seatbelts. Number three, you have access to God for your help. You have access to God for your help. Look with me in Hebrews chapter number 4. When we get saved, we trust Christ as our Savior. I don't know how many times over the years I found myself in a problem, and so I sit down and I start thinking, who do I know that can help me with this problem? If my air conditioner breaks down, I think, well, I need to call my friend that does air conditioning work. Uh, if, uh, if I have a problem with my pet, I call Brother Harold because he knows all things pets. Uh, if I know, uh, if I have a problem with my car, I'm going to call a mechanic that's a friend of mine and say, Brother, can you help me? And I tell you, we gain access to God Himself to help not just in a specialized area of life, but in any area of life. Look with me in Hebrews chapter number 4. Hebrews chapter number 4, let's look in verse number 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, or let us therefore, come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to what? Help in time of need. You say, I've got problems. God's grace is sufficient. Every time. Every time. God's grace is sufficient. He gives us access directly to Him when we get saved so that we can come to Him for our help. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 11. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 11. When we get saved, our sins are forgiven. That ought to bring great joy to us. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and all the things that He brings to our life, that ought to bring great joy to us. When we get saved, we have direct access to God for our help in times of need. That ought to bring great joy to us. Look with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11. And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Now, he's not talking here of sinless. He's talking here of a mature man, someone who has grown spiritually. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more... Notice this, please. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. 
But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. You know something else that happens when we get saved? God brings a stability to our lives. We're no longer children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, with the slight and cunningness of the world that tries to deceive us. We have a stability. We have an anchor that we hold on to. Can I tell you this? There are people out there in this world today, I counsel with them weekly, almost daily it seems, that will call me or text me or say, can I meet with you? Pastor, I just don't know what to do. I've got anxiety. I'm concerned. One time my life is this place. Another time it's over here in this place. And it just seems like my life is chaos. And the world is searching for stability in all the wrong places. We get saved. God brings stability to our lives. He brings doctrine that is unshakable and doctrine that is true and something that we can anchor our hearts and our lives to. And it does not change. And it is always true. Can I tell you, that brings me some stability in life. I know that life is a bunch of ups and downs, mountaintops and valleys. I was listening to a comedian one time, a Christian fella. He said life is a bunch of mountaintops and valleys. He said Christ came, he said, to bring life and to bring life more abundantly. That means higher mountaintops and lower valleys. But the truth is, when Christ comes, He gives us some stability, doesn't He? We don't swing back and forth and wander to and fro and, and guess at things and are always shifting in our lives. He gives us stability and a, and a focus. He gives us a goal and an anchor. I'm going to give you the last two and I'm going to give you the Bible references for them. Number five, when we get saved, He gives us the fellowship and the encouragement of other Christians. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, the Bible says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread. And I tell you this, when I get saved, I get a group of friends around me that love me, that care for me genuinely, that have my best interests at heart, that when I'm hurting, they hurt. And they, play, they shed tears with me and they pray for me. And they encourage me. And when I'm rejoicing, they come alongside and they rejoice with me. Can I tell you this? When I get saved, I become part of a family of people that love me. Not only that Christ did, but the family that God has so fitly framed together. The body of believers, those that have trusted Christ themselves, come around me and love on me and care for me and encourage me and edify me. Can I tell you, there's not a person sitting here today that wouldn't love to have someone like that come around. And when we get saved, we get that. And it brings great joy. It brings great joy. Number six, we gain a way to resist and escape sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13. The Bible says that He is faithful to give us a way of escape from our temptations, that we may be able to bear it. Psalm 119, if you'll turn there with me very quickly, I'm going to give you a few verses. We're going to read as quickly as I can, and we'll be done within ten minutes. And if we're not, we'll be done in more than ten minutes. But we will do our best to get through this. Look with me in Psalm 119. 
And let's go to verse number 9, if you will, to begin with. Psalm 119. And verse number 9. The psalmist writes this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against thee. How are we going to cleanse our way? How are we going to avoid sin? By walking in the Word of God, spending time in it, letting His Word cleanse us from these things. When I get saved, there are some things that will bring great joy to me. Uh, number one, my sins will be forgiven. Number two, I'll get the Holy Spirit to live inside of me. Number three, I'll have direct access to God for help in time of trouble. Number four, I will have great stability in life. Number five, I'll have the fellowship and encouragement of other Christians. Number six, I will gain a way to resist and escape sin. Can I tell you, folks, if you're sitting here today, you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you ought to look at that and say, wow, that's amazing. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm going to rejoice in these things. Look with me in Psalm 5. Psalm 5. I wish we had another hour yet, don't you? <laughs> Didn't get any amens on that one. Psalm 5, we'll be brief. Psalm 5, let's look into verse number 11. The psalmist writes this, But let all those that put their trust in thee, what? Rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Look with me in Psalm 8 for a moment. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord. We get saved, He becomes our Lord. He becomes our Savior. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set the glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor and hast made, thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and the fish of the sea, whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. And the psalmist ends it with, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. Look at what Christ has done for us. Psalm 21. Psalm 21. The king shall joy in Thy strength, O Lord, and in Thy salvation how greatly shall he rejoice. The king the one that has all the things that this world could possibly offer, has reason to rejoice in the Lord. Why? Because He's the one that gives Him strength. He's the one that gives Him, notice in verse 1 here, salvation. The Bible says even the king is going to rejoice in this. Look with me in Psalm 31. By the way, if the king is going to rejoice in the Lord, don't you think you and I, who don't have as much as the king, who God has done just as great a work for in our lives, don't we have all the more reason to rejoice in Him? Psalm 31, verse number 1. I'm sorry, verse number 19. Psalm 31, verse number 19. Oh, how great is Thy goodness, which Thou hast laid up for them that fear Thee, which Thou hast wrought for them that trust in Thee before the sons of men. How great is Thy goodness, Lord. Can I tell you this? We need to have a revival in our hearts of what God has done for us. 
and to allow our hearts to have the joy that God intends for us to have. The psalmist, at a low point in his life, when he had done some things against God and had sinned against God, and, and was coming back to God and saying, Lord, I, I miss our communion, I miss our fellowship, he made this statement. He said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation. Out of all the things I miss, I miss the joy that Thy salvation brings. I need the joy again. I need to rejoice in what God has done for me again. I'm amazed at how many Christians walk about defeated with no strength, with no ability to endure anything because they lack the joy. Can I tell you this? We lack the joy because we don't understand all that God has done for us. Look with me in Psalm 39 and verse number 4. Um, actually, I got the wrong verse. I'm sorry. Psalm 40, verse number 16. I read the wrong verse. Psalm 40, verse number 16. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say, what's the next word here? Say what? Let such as love thy salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. I'm telling you, everywhere we go, we ought to be praising the Lord. It was said of Billy Sunday a number of years ago, a great preacher. He used to be a baseball player. Wicked, wicked man before he got saved. And God saved him. And he got so excited, uh, he started uh, praising the Lord everywhere he went at what God had done for him. He was the kind of fellow he'd climb up on top of this pulpit and start preaching. He'd run from back and forth. And uh, it was said of his, his notes when he would preach, he had to write them in large letters so he could see them as he ran past the pulpit. He was so excited at what God had done for him. And everywhere he went, he was praising God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And one night, some of his buddies that he had been uh, 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 baseball uh, pals with and had done some things with that uh, were part of his wicked and ungodly lifestyle decided they were going to play a prank on him. And one night, as he was passing down the road, they hid in the bushes and they said, Billy, Sunday... This is the devil speaking to you. And he started shouting, Amen, glory to God, hallelujah. And they were puzzled by that. And they said, why are you praising God over that? He said, I didn't know the devil was so far away, he said. Can I tell you this? There needs to be a joy in the Christian life continually. We need to walk about with the praise of God on our lips our, our cup of joy ought to be so full that whenever it gets jostled, it just spills out. Because this world is looking at Christianity, they're looking at God, and they're looking at the Bible as some overbearing, legalistic, rain-on-their-parade type of religion. Can I tell you, trusting Christ as your Savior is the best most amazing decision you will ever make in your life. He'll forgive you of your sin. He's going to allow the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. He's going to empower. He's going to give you strength. He's going to give you direct access to Him. He's going to give you brothers and sisters in Christ to come around you and to love you and to edify you and encourage you. He's going to give you a way to escape sin. Can I tell you this? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and the reason you're saying that is because 
I don't want to have to give up all that I'm doing. Can I tell you, you've never understood joy until you understand the joy that salvation brings. You've never understood the peace until you understand the peace that salvation brings. You've never understood satisfaction and contentment unless you've understood the satisfaction and contentment that salvation brings. If you're here today, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I tell you, God loved you so much, so much, that He sent His only Son to die in your place, to stand in the place that you were supposed to be, and to take that penalty on Him and to pay it for you. That's how much He loved you. He didn't come to rain on your parade. He came to, to save you from the condemnation that you were already in. He came to give you great life, to give you great peace, to give you joy, a long-suffering, gentleness, peace. He came to bring all of these things to your life. The world's out here saying, oh, don't you believe a word of it. We're, we're the answer for this. We're the answer for the peace that you're looking for. We're the answer for the pleasure. We're the answer for the joy. Can I tell you, it's a counterfeit joy. It's a counterfeit peace. You'll never have the peace and the joy and the contentment that you long for, that you search for until you trust Him as your Savior. For Christians that are here today, can I remind you the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy that comes from being saved is what causes us, as so often the Apostle Paul did, that in times of trial and persecution, to have great joy. Oh, I'm not enjoying my circumstances, but my joy is still there. And while they may burn the body, they may torment the body, they cannot touch the joy that is overflowed, the soul that is overflowed by the joy of the Lord. Hands are off. There's nothing they can do to defeat a soul like that. Can I urge you as God's people to have a revival in your heart and to say as the psalmist did, Lord, restore unto me the joy of Thy salvation. Lord, I long for it. I want to have that kind of joy. Let's stand, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for Your Word. We've spent a little bit longer today, but Father, a very important, important message. So many, so many,